The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you'd like to find out more about us and how we strive to be a gospel-centered, city-focused church community, visit us at missioday.org. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift and the grace of being able to work. Thank you for opportunities to renovate broken things. Thanks, Father, for the the pause that my family had this weekend to just enjoy your goodness. And while I filled it with something to do, um, I hope that it was something that was done for your glory. And I pray, I pray that we, as we dig into your word, we see our shortcomings in regards to work, that Jesus would be our great victorious savior, that we would trust him, that he would change our hearts, that he would be our God and we would find joy uh, in serving others as we advance the kingdom of, of your glorious grace. We ask this in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, amen. So here's where I wanna start. I, I've always been, as long as I can remember, I've been a grinder. What I mean by that is like, I've always been one that works really hard. Uh, the house that, that I grew up in had wood siding, and, and most houses today, they don't have that because it's a lot of work, it's a lot of maintenance. And I remember at about age seven, I would climb up on the ladder with my dad with a scraper and I'd spend Saturday afternoons scraping paint off the side of the house. Fast forward until I was about 14 and I took my first job when I earned money. I would go with a buddy of mine, his, his dad was one of the VPs at Richards Industries over in Oakley. And so I would spend my Saturday mornings at 14 years old getting up early and going to work the assembly line. I would fold boxes for shipping, I would grease valves, I would move things around, I, I would just I would get in there and I would grind. That carried into my college years, where on average I, I took about 18 credit hours. Uh, that was about, that was average, sometimes it was more because I wanted to finish with, with school. And during the school year I worked two part-time jobs on campus and one part-time job off campus. And then when I would come home for winter break and, and for summer break, I would usually work two full-time jobs. The, in the winters, I would come home, I would work for a commercial electrician, and I would pull wire in a factory. And then when I got off from that job, I'd go over to American Freightways, and I would load trucks. And so I've always been a hard worker. I come from a family where hard work was highly valued. But it's created this interesting relationship with me between money and work. And, and I don't know where you guys fall on that spectrum, but I've always had this kind of a love-hate, right? When I first graduated from college, I got really sick and tired of working for people, because I had just finished college, that should be working for me. You guys felt that way ever in life? You should be working for me. What am I doing working for you? And as I've studied the scripture on this issue of work, it's really and radically changed my views on the connection between work and money. And so that's what I wanna explore this morning. We're looking at the same story that we looked at last week in Luke chapter 18. And my hope is that as we study this, it confronts some things that are going on in our heart. Last week, as we looked at this, um, Jesus approaches and confronts this rich man, and he, he exposes that he was putting his trust and his faith for satisfaction and joy in the wealth that he had acquired. Jesus challenged him on that. That's what we challenged you last week with. What is your God? Where are you trusting? But today I wanna talk about it from a little bit, slightly different angle. So Luke chapter 18, and I'll pick up the story again in verse 18, and it says this. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Now God, bless not just our reading of your word, but also our exploration of it. And again, help us to see Jesus this morning. So here's where I wanna focus in. One of the things I want us to consider in this text this morning is that we don't know how this rich man acquired his wealth. We don't know that. And, and honestly, the Bible doesn't place any sort of value structure on how that took place. So we have to take our clues about what we know to be true about this man from the text itself. And so we've got this rich man, and he comes to Jesus, and we don't know how he acquired his wealth. But what we do know about him is that he was a man who was faithful, at least to some degree. Because when Jesus says, you know the commandments, don't commit adultery, he's able to affirm without correction from Jesus that he's been a faithful man, right? Jesus doesn't correct him. He says, ah, you're lying. You're not telling the truth. He only gives him five of the 10 commands, but on that, on that issue, Jesus doesn't correct him. We know that he's not a liar because he doesn't bear false witness. We know that he hasn't acquired his wealth through stealing. We, we know, generally speaking, it, it seems like whatever way this man acquired his wealth, it seems to have been honest. And at the end of all of this, Jesus looks at him and still gives him a challenge. Now, it's entirely possible, based on the question that he asks, that the man inherited his wealth. Right? As he's gone through life, it's very possible that somebody else actually worked for it, and the way he earned it was by inheriting it. And I think that's a safe bet because the way he comes up to Jesus and asks the question, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is probably something he's used to. He's used to going through life inheriting things. He's used to going through life treating people well, but that's because he has inherited things. And so it's at this point that Jesus confronts what's going on in his heart. Jesus is gonna call this man to work. I find it fascinating what Jesus doesn't say to him. He doesn't say, use your wealth and your resources to be a blessing to others. 
He calls him to work. He says, go and sell everything that you have and then distribute those things to the people who need them. So he's calling him to start a business. It would have been much easier for Jesus to say, if the issue was really about all of the possessions, it would have been much easier for Jesus to simply say, hey, just use the things that you've inherited, use the things that you've acquired to be a blessing to others. But Jesus doesn't say that, and I think the reason he doesn't say that is because this man doesn't know what it means to work. He's inherited his wealth, and so Jesus confronts him on this point, and he says, all right, it's time for you to get to a place where you work. And this is a very important point for Christians to understand. Because there's, I think there's in the mindset of, of, of the Christian church and of, of Americans for sure, that work is a bad thing. That work is a result of the curse. It's not, we're gonna explore that. In fact, there's no place in the Bible that teaches that work is a bad thing or it's something to be avoided, but rather the opposite is true. Listen to this. These are Paul's words in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Thessalonians, rather, chapter 3. It says this. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. See, the... The, the biblical understanding is that we were created to be workers. If you're not willing to work, you shouldn't be eating. That's what the Bible teaches. That, and that's a direct confrontation to, to a lot of us in the way that we understand work. The rich man is being called to do work. And, and Jesus even challenged, like, it, it's not so much the challenge of having the possessions, it's how did you acquire them and what are you doing with them? If you've acquired them because somebody else did the work, then you understand work improperly. You're probably avoiding it. So here's the summary of where I wanna go this morning. What we learn from the Bible is this. We were created to work with God in a way that demonstrates his gracious care of creation. Tanner mentioned this when he got up here this morning. He said in the beginning, when we were with God, there was work to be done. There was work to be done, and there will continue to be work to be done. I understand that we enter into the rest of who God is, but there's still work with it. And we bought into this false lie that, the wor that work is the curse of life, and it's not. Fruitfulness in our labor is what's cursed. It's difficult to bear fruit in our labor, but labor isn't the curse. 
We were created to lock arms with God, to represent him, to image him in the care of his creation. That's part of what it means to be in the image of God or in the Imago Dei. We are created to be co-laborers with God. So I want us to spend the rest of our time just kind of wrestling through what do we believe about our work? What do we believe about work? Some of us, like the rich young ruler, have a dysfunctional view of work. And some of us express that dysfunction by overworking. This is my tendency, right? As I'm like reciting some of the work that I've done, some of you were exhausted listening to it, weren't you? Right? Some of you were encouraged, you were like, that's it, get after it. But some of you were like, man, I don't know if I'm, if I'm wired for that. Like, don't you ever just take time to take a nap, right? But, but some of us, we do. We have this dysfunction of overworking. And what I mean by this isn't that you shouldn't work hard, but it's you tie all of your identity and your value and your worth into what it is that you do. And here's the difficulty with this. We teach our kids from a young age to believe this, don't we? We ask them when they're like in kindergarten, what do you want to be when you grow up? And here's what I've learned as I've gone through life. You're going to do a lot of different things. You're gonna do different things in different seasons, right? When I was a college student, I was a student. That was primarily what I did. But did you hear how I just tied my identity to something that I was doing? We do that from a very young age, and it creates some problems. It, it creates some serious problems, because like right now, what I do is I shepherd people and I teach. I fill the function and the role of a pastor. And pastors of all people can really get tripped up in finding all of their value and worth in being a pastor. So that if God ever calls them away to do something else to maybe be even more fruitful in ministry by working a real job, right? They don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know how to do it. And, and, and churches breathe this kind of nonsense. This idea that the most effective thing you can do for eternity is leave the marketplace and enter the ministry. But I'm convinced that there are a lot of guys that are hiding in the church because they can't hack it in the real world. And so I wanna push people back out into that. Don't find your identity in what you do. Let it be what you do. Let Jesus be the one who identifies you. Let him be the one that gives you your, work, or your worth and your value. Don't let that come from your work. There's little sense for many of us of our dependence in our work on God's glory. How many of you tomorrow morning are gonna wake up and you say, Lord, this is the work you've given me to do. I'm gonna do it in such a way that it honors you. I'm gonna do it in such a way that it is a blessing for others. Or if you're like me, you get up and you say, this is what's giving my, me my sense of value and my sense of self-worth. If that's you, you're probably overworking. You're putting too much weight in what you do. And here's the reality. It's, for me, it's gonna change. My work will change. Hopefully my identity is founded and rooted in Jesus. And, and that's, what, that, that's what becomes my, my anchor. Uh, we need to consider this because Mark 8, Jesus says these words. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Some of us who are overworking, we find ourselves there. Right? We're accomplishing a lot, people are respecting us, we're building this great name for ourselves, and we're losing who we really are. 
We're not valuing what Jesus values. We don't see as important what Jesus finds important. We're overworking. We work hard in order to make money because we want power. We want power over events. We want power over people. We want comfort here. We want comfort now. We're not listening to Jesus' story that we'll get a little bit of a blessing now, but in the age to come, we'll have eternal life. And so I just want to challenge those of us that are getting caught up in finding our identity in overworking. That's some of us. Then there's the other end of the spectrum. Some of us express the dysfunction by underworking. We're not carrying our weight. We're not doing what we're called to do. We're overly reliant on the work of others. This may have been the rich ruler. He got his wealth by inheriting it, and he might have been a wise steward of it, but there wasn't an example, there wasn't a history in his life where he was working really hard to be a blessing to others, which is why I believe that Jesus is calling him at this point in his life, start a business. And the capital that's going to start that business is everything that you've ever inherited because you need to understand that you were called and created to work. Some of us are underworking. We're we're lazy. We refuse to do work that we don't find personally fulfilling. And, And that's the American dream, but it's the American lie. Let me tell you what I did every night when I was in college. I started off as a scrub at the bottom. And and you know what I did to earn income? I cleaned dormitory toilets. That's where I started. Now, I worked my way up and I ran a a crew of men who cleaned dormitory toilets, but there aren't much more disgusting jobs on the planet that I can imagine that, that involve more like grossness than cleaning toilets in a college dorm, right? It, but some of us believe that that's beneath us. That, that's work that we don't wanna do, but here's the reality. Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to be involved in that aspect of creation care or else the whole world is gonna look like a college dormitory men's toilet, right? Somebody's gotta do it. Then when I graduated from college, you know, the, the first job, job that I took, I have a, an undergrad degree in counseling and psych, uh, clinical psychology. That's my undergrad degree. And so I went to a funeral home. You know why I went there? I wanted to minister with hurting, to, to hurting people, families that had just experienced a loss. Guess what job you start at when you have an undergraduate degree in clinical psychology and you're working for a funeral home? You're not working with the living. My job was to answer phones on second shift, and if somebody passed away, I was the guy that went to pick up the person who passed away. And I would bring the body back to the funeral home and I would prep it so somebody else could embalm the body. Gross work. It's gross. Human beings are disgusting creatures, especially when they're not alive. But here's the thing. I learned a tremendous amount about life by working with the dead. I learned that you don't get to start at the top. You can work hard and you can try to work your way up there if there's an opportunity to do it. But had I gone in and said, man, I've got an undergrad degree. I'm supposed to be working with families. I'm not gonna go do this. That's beneath me. I would have missed out on a lot of what God had to teach me. A lot of patience, a lot of just understanding relational dynamics, a lot of understanding the ground workings of how businesses are started. I would have missed a lot of that. And some of us are doing that. We figured I've, I've worked to, to get through college and I should start at the top. 
and we're underworking, we're relying on the work of others and we expect to be catapulted to the top. Some of us are only working in order to play. Right? We, we work so that we can enjoy the weekends and we're not giving much attention. So some of us are, are in that boat where we're dysfunctional about our work because we're unwilling to do it. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's not so much about what you're accomplishing, what you're producing. It's about your heart in the midst of the work. And Jesus redeems our work. Jesus redeems our work. Let me, let me teach you how he does that. I love this. Because Jesus doesn't overwork. Jesus doesn't underwork. There wasn't a job that was beneath Jesus. Dying for the sins of the world, for people who would be ungrateful, for people who were unworthy of his love, that wasn't a job that was beneath Jesus. He went to the cross and he did it anyway. And what Jesus does on the cross is he finishes the work of redeeming us from all of our sinfulness. While Jesus' work in regard to sin is finished, his resurrection and his subsequent ascension teach us that the work of God continues. So Jesus is able to say, it's finished. The work of dealing with sin, it's over. But that's not the end of the story because Jesus comes back alive and he says there's still work to be done. Listen to what he says in John chapter 14. He says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So this is that idea of Jesus puts an eternal value on our work. But I don't know if you caught this, the work of dealing with sin was over and the work of preparing a place for us begins. So, so after Jesus dies on the cross and says it is finished, he says there's still work to be done because we were created to work. The, the fruitfulness of our work is what's under the curse, but work itself is not. And so this should be a challenge. For those of us that are younger, this should be a challenge to our view of work. We don't work just to play. We don't work to find our value. We work to commune with God in sharing his good care over all of creation. And one of the other things that this teaches us is that the finish line is not retirement. It's not we work and work and work until we get to the point where we don't have to do it anymore and then we can rest. And for those of you that have that mindset, I think the Lord is gonna come to you at that point and say, it's time to not sit on your tail. Don't waste your retirement. What, it, what retirement does is it frees us up to have more opportunity to serve the kingdom of heaven because we, we don't have to work for income anymore. Now we get to work in simply advancing the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus redeems our work and he calls us to work. And because of the resurrection and the indwelling Holy Spirit, what that means is that we carry the temple of God wherever we go. Because the Holy Spirit indwells believers by faith, wherever you go, there is the temple of God. What does that mean? It means this. It means that our workplace becomes an expression of worship to God. Wherever you are, wherever you go, 
as the temple of God, you are an expression of God's worship. So this gathering is good. We worship here, but the worship we do here is supposed to serve as fuel for the worship that you do out there. Amen? We want you to go out of here doing work-type worship for God and for his glory. Jesus saves us to perform sanctified works. This is what we looked at in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were created and recreated to do good works in the name of God. We do sanctified work for the blessing of others and the glory of God. That's what work is all about. And we get to take that into all of our places. So couple of practical implications, and then I'll wind this thing down. Number one, in Christ, we are to work. We're to work. We're to be workers. And I want to remind all of us out here, some work doesn't earn income, but it's still work, right? And all of the stay-at-home moms said a hearty amen. Ladies, I know you're not earning income but I guarantee you're working 10 times harder than a lot of us are that are going to an office, right? You're not earning the income, but it doesn't mean it's not work. So don't, don't view your work strictly as tied to income. God will provide for you, he will bless you, he will give you what you need, but don't make the mistake of tying those two. We are created to work. Some work earns income, some doesn't. And this means as well, some of you men, that have wives, that have the blessing of staying at home. When you clock out from the office job and you show up at home, work is not over, is it? It's not over. I wanna embarrass somebody for just a minute. I didn't ask his permission, so hopefully he'll extend me his forgiveness. But this past week, um, one of our community leaders, uh, Noah Finney, invited me and another guy over to just have a conversation about how things were going. His wife was out for the evening. When I showed up, you know what he was doing? the dishes, right? I don't know who cooked that night. I don't know if, if you cooked together. I don't know if you, you did the cook. So, so he punches out from his nine to five and he goes home and he cooks dinner and then he's cleaning the dishes. And my heart was so encouraged by that because he, he, he has a wife who has the privilege of staying at home and what he doesn't do is say, those are your chores, I'm above this. He comes home and he says, it's time for me to continue working, right? Men, follow that example, that's godly, amen? And all of God's women said, amen, right? <laughs> we need to have that, that mindset. Some work earns income, some doesn't. But we're created to work. We're not created to sit on our tail. And I think when God finds us he'll, sitting on our, our, on our tail, he's going to confront us and he's saying, I've got work for you to do. If you're gonna follow me, if you're gonna be faithful, there's work to be done. I know you've had it easy, so let's start a business. Let's do something. We're created to work. And, and as we do that, in regards to work, I wanna say this, because I wanna challenge this mindset that somehow working and earning money is bad, it's not, right? As Christians, what we should do is we should work hard so we, should so we can have as much money as possible to be as big a blessing as possible, amen? We need to earn money so that we can use money to advance God's kingdom. It's not a bad thing to earn money, and that's something that I'm learning the older that I get. It's not a bad thing to have money. Jesus never challenges people for having it. He challenges them for what they do with it. Here's a rich man who's putting his trust in it and he's had it easy. And God's saying, nope, that's not the way life is supposed to work. Start a business, work hard, and be a blessing to others. But we're called to work. 
I wanna read to you a quote from Dr. Anthony Bradley, a key figure and a guy that I'm reading a lot of. He's a professor of the New Testament at King's College in New York City. But in regards to work, uh, in an article that he wrote called Everyday Christianity, he said this, there are no little people in the kingdom and no one has an insignificant career, job, or life. Being a bus driver is no less important than being a lawyer or a church planter in God's economy. What matters is that God's people are a love-driven people glorifying God wherever he places them. Wherever you are, if you're a full-time student, do that to the glory of God. If you are a work-at-home mom, not a stay-at-home mom, a work-at-home mom, do that for the glory of God. If you are in the corporate world, like whatever it is, wherever God has placed you, do that for the glory of God because you were created to do work in a, in, a, in a way that represents him and demonstrates his good care of creation. And Jesus is the one who redeems us and empowers us to do it. So we are created to work. Secondly, if we are created to work in Christ, we are to work well. We're to work well. There was a, a woman by the name of Dorothy Sanders, and she put it this way. She's the one that originally, I think, came up with this term, but I've seen a lot of people use it. So I wanna attribute it back to the woman who said it. Um, and she said it this way. She said, Christian work is good work done well. It's good work done well. So we are to work and we're to work well. This happens when we go to work and we don't make it about ourselves. We don't make it about self-fulfillment. We don't make it about our advancing our career, but we go in and we represent Jesus. We're diligent. We're generous. We're fair. We're committed to others, we're calm under pressure, and we are consistent. Christian work is good work done well. Dr. Martin Luther King said it this way. He was speaking to a group of junior high students at a speech in 1967. He said this, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leonte Price sings before the Metropolitan Opera. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep, sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. If you can't be a pine at the top of the hill, be a shrub in the valley. Be the best little shrub on the side of the hill. Be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a highway, just be a trail. If you can't be a sun, be a star. For it isn't by size that you win or fail. Be the best of whatever you are. Man, that encourages my soul and my heart. You may not be the top of the corporate ladder. You might be the bottom rung, but guess what? Nobody climbs past it if the rung breaks, amen? So be the best at whatever you can be for the glory of God. Christian work is good work done well. So go into the marketplace as a godly person who does a good job. If you're supposed to call people, call them well with joy in your heart and a calmness in your spirit in a way that reflects God's goodness. And because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you're empowered to do it. The struggle is you don't believe that you have it. So believe, believe that 
Jesus is alive, the spirit indwells you, what you're doing is an act of worship no less significant than your time here. Then finally, in Christ, we are to work, we are to work well, and we are to wait. We're to wait. We're supposed to do our work with patience. We're called to wait. While there is blessing with life in this age, it is with patience that we are to focus on the treasures that we're building in heaven. This teaches us a couple of things. Christian work should have an eternal perspective, right? When you're 21, you realize you still have at least 60 years on average, at least 60 years to go. I'm 40. I only have about 40 years left, okay? But uh, that's just this life. There's a whole eternity after this life. And I wanna work with that mindset in perspective. So I wanna be patient. I wanna recognize there's not a lot of time, but it's the, the, the character and the foundation of what I'm building that will last forever. So I don't wanna cheat my way to the top, which means I have to be patient. I have to understand that I'm building treasure in heaven. I have to understand that it's Jesus at the end of the day who will look at me and say, well done, faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So that means I don't get to start at the top. You, you students that are, that are um, in undergrad right now or you're in high school looking to what college to go to, hey, th- there's great work to be had, but realize even if you go to the best of schools, that's not a guarantee that you're gonna make great money or that you're gonna start at the top. That's an extremely rare thing. Let's just put this in the realm of sports, okay? In the realm of sports, I don't know if you're aware of this, 3% of college athletes go on to do their sport professionally. 3%, okay? That's an incredibly slim margin. The difficulty that we have is you've been told all of your life, you're part of that 3%, right? And some of you have been told, you're part of the one. The reality is, that's just not true, okay? I love you, let me pop that bubble for you. It's just not true. And you know what, it's okay. Now, if you're called to be that pine at the top of the mountain, do it well. Most of us, aren't called to be that pine at the top of the mountain. We're the bush in the valley. So let's do that bush in the valley thing and recognize that it's going to take time. College doesn't guarantee you great income. What college does, and it's a wonderful tool, it creates opportunity. That's all it does. It doesn't even prepare you for the workplace. What it does, if it's a good like educational experience, it prepares you how to think and how to adapt. So approach your university career that way. Approach your whatever next step you're into, approach it that way. Don't think, well, I'm gonna get this degree, therefore I'm gonna get this job. Because when you finish, guess what you get to do? You get to start working. You get to start your grind. And I know men and women in here who have started businesses, um, and it's hard work, isn't it? It's a lot of incredibly hard work, and it's things that they don't teach you in college. I learned nothing about property. I learned nothing about lease agreements. I learned nothing about finding loans or any of that while I was in seminary. And I went for an advanced degree, right? They don't teach you those things, but these are the things that you face while you're going through real life. So be patient. Take your time. Work in a sense of community. But work, do your work well, and while you're doing your work well, wait. Be patient. You don't start at the top. Our works are not the things that save us. 
Jesus' work is what saves us. And he calls us into sanctifying work, which blesses others. And so we want to work, we want to work well, we want to work well waiting, we want to wait for God to bless our efforts for the fame of his name and the good of his kingdom. Let me pray for us, and then I'll walk us through a time of responding to what we've heard. Father, forgive us for overworking, forgive us for underworking. Give us the faith to enter whatever our workplace is with a redeemed heart and a redeemed mind where we do good work well in such a way that people will see our good work and they will glorify you in heaven as the gracious caretaker who loves his people. We ask this for our joy and for the renown of your name. Amen.